the New York Jets have their man. According to our Adam Schefter, Gang Green is hiring 49ers defensive coordinator Robert Sala. The Atlanta Falcons have named Titans offensive coordinator Arthur Smith their 18th head coach in franchise history. Lord. Yeah, the Chargers very stealth in the head coach search, and a lot of people were looking a lot of different directions. They were always looking at Brandon Staley, the defensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams. Meanwhile, the Detroit Lions today get to finalize what we have known for a couple days, that Dan Campbell, the Saints tight ends coach and assistant head coach, is going to be their next head coach. After some on. breaking news as we start the show today. Just a couple of hours ago, the news came down that the Eagles are hiring Nick Sirianni as their new head coach. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your favourite soap opera straight from the Great British Isles. Although the drama has dwindled somewhat on Kirby Drive this week, Cal's franchise in the running of the franchise remains in question. The feelings of the quarterback remain in question. But as of the news Thursday night, the Philadelphia Eagles have hired Nick Sirianni from the Indianapolis Colts, taking their offensive coordinator to be their new head coach in Philly. The Texans, despite firing O'Brien in early October after the Week 4 loss to the Minnesota Vikings, are the last to hire a head coach, the first team to hire a general manager. They were quick off the mark three days after the season. But the head coach and hire has taken some time. And it was just reflecting on some of those reasons as we sit here on January, Friday 22nd. And the question I think is Nick Casario was said to have reset the timelines on this head coaching search. He had his own list. Forget about the Corn Ferry list. Arthur Smith was only on their list, apparently, and you know that was very quickly wrapped up with the Atlanta Falcons. But the Falcons are a good example of they managed to to in parallel coordinate a head coaching hire and a GM hire bringing Terry Fontenot over from the Saints in unison. Whereas the Texans, just as it was with their turning the back on the process with Corn Ferry, again, it kind of seems clunky because my question comes in of the timelines. The timelines were pretty clearly laid out that the, the deal for Casario was agreed late Tuesday after the meeting. He signed that contract on Wednesday. They delayed the announcement to the Thursday due to the ongoing incident in Washington, D.C. with the resurrection and the attack on the Capitol building. They then hold the press conference on Friday. Now, all we know that they, they, they spoke to the coaching staff and have taken some internal interviews at that time. But beyond that, there was a, a, there's a time lag between the Friday and then into the Saturday and the Sunday that you had all day Wednesday, all day, or some of the day Wednesday into Thursday, and part of the day on Friday to contact head coaches. Now there may have been, you know, there, there may be, you know, preconditions, speaking to agents, screening of these interviews, but before you can approach teams and approach and notify the league of these interviews. But exemplify no more than Robert Sala, who the Texans were the only opening not to interview. He was then interviewed and very quickly hired after his second meeting with Joe Douglas. Again, a team that were coordinating only a head coaching hire, as if Joe Douglas was the carryover from the previous regime. But he he was then a candidate the Texans had no opportunity to do. You could argue if there was a you know if there was a, a similar interest with with Casario, he missed on the opportunity to 
interview Arthur Smith. He did, to his credit, interview Brandon Staley, who then, after taking his first meeting in person, the Chargers moved very quickly to hire him, moves across the hallway in that building in California, and is now the next head coach of the char- of the Chargers. So another name came off the board pretty quickly. And I think, you know, albeit Detroit did, again, an example of a team who managed to, to in parallel, make their head coach and a general manager hire at the same time. They've probably done themselves a favour there because I don't think Texans would have ever been involved in Dan Quinn and in Urban Meyer. I don't think it was never an option for Houston and Trent Baalke comes in it as an already in-house name to be their GM. And I think obviously Urban is ruling the roost there. So the Texans were put behind the eight ball undoubtedly by the intervention of Easter Bays into the corn ferry process. There was a time lag in terms of getting interviews done and missing deadlines and probably not being, certainly from our outside point of view, being quicker off the ball. There may be reasons for that, as we said. So it made me think of some hypotheticals. If we had have continued with the process, say the divine forces of Jack Easterby had not interfered in Cal's thinking. If the Texans right now were sitting with Omar Khan as a general manager, a guy who wasn't in really for any of the other openings, and Matt Eberflus, who's still on the market, knowing what we know now, were they necessarily the best hires? You could question not. So, you know, credit to some of the Texans, which haven't had a lot. I mean, you could argue that they may not have been the best hire based on how the market has played out. But it made me think, would Deshaun Watson be as pissed as he is right now? Would his camp have umbrage and a real philosophical lack of alignment with the way in which this team's run. And a part of me thinks yes, because it, it would have shown a change and a clean slate and new leadership and a new way to do things. And look, and I think the biggest thing we could probably take from that potential scenario is Jack Easterby would not be in this building right now. So you could argue on that alone we would be better off. But on paper, again, go back to that point, Casario represents a real experienced individual. But as many media sources are pointing out, this is his first coaching hire that he's involved in because obviously that was not a a factor in his role in New England. So the transferable skills of signing agents, coaches is still the same, but there was a limited window there that feels like the Texans were standing Holding on, holding on with something in hand and the rest of the dominoes and the, and, the, and the forces in the market have played out and they look behind the rest of the teams. But there may be, there may be an element there that Deshaun and his camp do not have the same umbrage and they do not have the same media scrutiny that they've had. And I think there is that scrutiny. But I think that's because the, the Deshaun narrative has allowed... Athletes first in David Magaletta, or if it's ESPN with an axe to grind, they've shown Cal and his operation up for for what they are essentially, and is to be a two bit you know badly run billion dollar organization. Leadership and 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 standards of organization and operations that should not be possible at this level. And I think that's a big thing. And that's been and look, it, we all knew that at a local level, the national level. 
has now seen it for what it is. So there's almost an airing of that dirty laundry. That may well pay off in time because, you know, it's not until a weakness or a flaw is exposed that it will it will necessarily be attacked or addressed. So there was a big a big wave of and, and days of pain to go through if you're interested in, in, in follow this team. But that may pay off in the long run. But I think as well, we've got to remember and touched on this earlier in the week, but there's, there is so much at play here and so many forces and so many people with their nose out of joint and genuinely have a case for an axe to grind against the Houston Texans that they have, you know, and if you think of elections are swung, you've seen that with Cambridge Analytica, you've seen the use of social media and it definitely feels like that there's, there's certainly accounts out there getting a lot of attention for not really saying a huge amount. When you look into the detail of that, most of the accounts or the likes are hidden. And and from taking from previous experience, whether it's a product you're pushing, whether it's something you want to be scrubbed off the internet, or whether you want to drive awareness to an issue, a news story, a movement, you can pay for that. And I think we probably need to not forget that you can pay for what you want if you've got deep enough pockets to happen online and dual public nine times out of ten through social media swallow it like a lump of ice cream no questions asked so i think that's worth bearing in mind but let's not forget or lose sight of the fact that you can manipulate people's content and what they see in their newsfeed and therefore their opinion and outlook very easily and i think that's definitely been a part so whoever's behind that probably won't it won't come out in the open but you know, there's certainly some obvious people out there who've got an axe And a big thing that's actually been, you know, at the forefront of that axe has been the leverage. Talking about Watson's leverage. And the more I thought about it, I think last week in, was that there is leverage on the side of Watson's camp because the Texans had people, as we said, with Tunsil, with Watson, who negotiated those contracts. They didn't get anything back. You know, negotiation is, is trading of variables what did watson's camp trade back to us to get the position on cash flow on number of years on the no trade clause it doesn't look like a lot it's, it's effectively it was an ask a barter a give from houston side to give them that and it was a mistake i don't think about that and i think it, it does suppress the trade value it does impact things but only further down the line and the key milestone that we need to get past is if the Texans do accept to trade them like their star quarterback which under any circumstance makes no sense whatever any other team is offering it's not enough but the leverage of the no trade clause only comes in at a point where you decide to trade Deshaun Watson if you do not decide to trade him the current architecture of this Collective bargain agreement sits well and truly and firmly on the side of the club. The players gave up all their control and all their leverage this offseason by chasing that 1% or 2% extra that they got. And fair enough to them, it's a limited career. You need to get paid for the, you know, the average three and a half years you're in the league. But the Texans are well within a position to say, you've got two options here, Deshaun. You can either come and play for our new head coach, buckle up your chin strap, Get in the field and practice with our with our guys that we've drafted and we've signed this offseason or you sit for a year. Because at that point, beyond the current screaming and shouting through the media and social media 
cryptic tweets, whatever you want to call it. There's not a lot Deshaun Nees Camp can do. And therefore, I think, you know, he's a guy who just loves football and wants to play. And I think ultimately, maybe even against the advice of his people that and his backroom staff and all the guys that, that advise him, he'll come out and play because the Texans could just sit and hold and nobody's in a better... If it, if it comes down to a game of hardball, the Texans are best placed to, to play that game if that's the way it wants to, to work itself out. One final point of Watson thing is I think he could have easily come out and spoke to somebody. Now, they're on a pre-planned trip to New York. There's stuff at the diary. He's probably just going to go about his business in the off-season and just look at it as media media talk but he could have deflated this at some point and I think the Texans could have deflated this as well and just said look under no circumstances are we going to trade our franchise passer because it makes absolutely no sense to do that he's at the prime of his career trying to trade him for picks and maybes and non-sure things against a known quantity the most the most important missing piece that every franchise and every front office spends their careers and some of them never find them we have so what would it make any sense for us to trade them the answer is it wouldn't make any sense so that's our position the Texans haven't done that so they've left themselves open to scrutiny and and Casario may once he's through this process of a head coach play that out over time I think as well, you know, we are the last, but is being the last to hire a head coach necessarily the worst position? If you look at Cleveland with Stefanski and Berry came into the front office, if you think from where they took that club from this season to the position they were in this postseason, arguably the biggest jump in the league. So there's a, a lot to, to play out there, and it would seem, considering they could hire Eberflus today and all week, and he's not been hired albeit they want to do around a second interview. So who and when they can bring in for second interviews in person will show us clearly and definitively who the front runners are. But certainly by all the reports, it's Eric Bieniemy or Leslie Fraser, two guys who face off on either side of the sidelines directly, defensive coordinator for the Bills, Fraser, offensive coordinator for the Chiefs and Bieniemy. They will face off this weekend. So depending on who loses that game, May get in, maybe the first person to interview for for the position may not be the last. Something interesting to watch. Will they bring any other candidates in for an interview? It doesn't seem like they will do, considering nobody's been interviewed since Monday. enemy was the last, and credit Casario again for lobbying to, for a, a rule change there. But certainly it feels like it's one of those two guys there, but I think all the negative media, the time lag that's taken has a real impact to impact the coaching staff as other teams like the Jets who hired last Saturday have now you know announced their entire offensive coaching staff. I saw that yesterday. Other teams are bringing in coordinators quite quickly. And look, I think it's a common practice that Leslie Fraser, Bienemy, Eberflus, whoever it be, will speak to you know all their contacts, guys, and go, if I get this job, will you come and be this for me? So they'll have that in the wings, but that doesn't mean that it's a sure thing. That doesn't mean that they'll necessarily get those guys because things can change, other jobs will come up and they might not want to wait. So it will impact the staff. But you saw again Andy Reid, impassioned speech about the enemy. You saw Alex Smith come out. Cannot believe this guy's not had a head coaching gig. It's beyond me. It may, both of them said they understand, knowing the guy, how they can see potentially his best traits and his football now might not get over in one of these calls. So 
is over Zoom or an in-person interview. So certainly either of those guys would make a good jump in terms of head coach and bring a sure hand to the building. I think if you're going to go in momentum alone and positivity in terms of perception of the fan base and calming some of the storm, the enemies, the higher. And certainly he feels like a guy, much like Houston sports, been overlooked time and time again. And I think there'd be something quite acutely poetic to bring in a guy like the enemy and turn this franchise around. But as I said last week, it's going to be a job for the head coach and Casario to go and approach their quarterback and calm some of these stormy waters that we're currently in if we're going to try and make the 21 season even to have a point to be even playing it at the minute because as the minute things look pretty bleak but there, there needs to be this point of inflection where we hire the head coach and we start to look ahead to next season. This limbo period of pain and, and drawn out agony, I think it's been for many people for the team, hopefully will be coming to an end into next week. But it may not, it may even be next week there's an agreement in principle and somebody doesn't sign until after the Super Bowl, depending on the preferred candidate and who makes it. But you've got to hope this thing will come and give itself a conclusion at some point soon. But thanks again for listening. You can check us out on podcasttexans.com at podcasttexans on Twitter and on Facebook.